want to pray uh, as we start today, and I want to pray uh, with a couple of things in mind. I'm tired of COVID, and I know that you all are too, and boy, there's sure lots of talk about it again, and I know that it's impacting everybody in so many different ways, from fear and anxiety, some of you have struggled with it, you've got people that you love that have struggled with it, or maybe are very vulnerable to it, and so that puts you in some awkward positions. Man, I feel for our schools. I cannot imagine being an administrator right now, trying to lead our schools through all of this. And so with Noblesville schools starting this, tomorrow and other districts coming up, I know there's lots of decisions to be made. We love being able to gather here on the weekends. And um, I just want to remind you as you come, just be wise. You know, if you're not feeling well, you know, feel free to stay home. Even if you're serving, we're not going to give you a hard time about that. Some will wear masks, you know, and so let's be sensitive to those that do and uh, just kind of each other's space and, you know, just loving each other as best as we can. We want to be flexible. We want to be gracious. Not everybody sees it all eye to eye, but we do have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and uh, we're going to serve him as he came to be served. So uh, thank you for your prayers. I want to admit I've kind of let down my guard on praying Uh, about COVID, and I feel like it's time for us to double down and ask the Lord to break its back um, and to do away with it once and for all, uh, because it's causing a lot of harm, and it is from the evil one. And uh, and so I want to pray for protection for our church family. Um, I want to pray for healing for those that need it right now, again, just for protection and just for wisdom, and that we'll just keep loving uh, one another and loving Jesus and the neighbors that he's called us to. So let's pray. God, thank you for giving us this time together today and uh, for this great time of worship this morning and just the opportunity to be together here as a church family. Uh, We do not take it for granted. And uh, we are trusting you, Lord. All of our faith is in you. And as our country and as our world continues to struggle with with the COVID pandemic, uh, Father, I pray that you give us patience. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would give us great grace Um, I pray that you would give us understanding and wisdom for decisions we need to make as families and as schools and as churches and just everybody that's impacted by this in so many different ways. We are tired, Lord, and there are those that are hurting and lives have been lost and uh, some that are just living in it day by day by day, Lord. And so we are trusting you and we need you. Um, You are our rock and redeemer. You are our defender. And uh, Father, we are asking, Lord, for you to break the back of COVID once and for all. And uh, we are trusting you with that. We believe that you can. And we do pray for your protection over our church family each and every week, especially as we come together in this place. Uh, Give us great faith in you. And use this time today, Lord, this message that you've given to me this morning to encourage our hearts, to give us vision and direction for our lives. We're here for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 1. If you've got a Bible with you today, go to the Old Testament, Daniel uh, 1. I love watching the Olympics, but I need them to end because it's messing up my bedtime, all right? I like like to go to bed around 10 o'clock at night, but I find myself staying up late to watch a race, to watch another final, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. There have been so many great stories from the Olympics. If you've been following them, I think my favorite was Lydia Jacoby's uh, gold medal performance in the 100-meter breaststroke. She's the 17-year-old girl from from Alaska, and I get a little teary every time I see the video of her reaction when 
she found, finds out she wins, and also her high school classmates jumping up and down to celebrate uh, her victory. And of course, COVID has made the Olympics pretty unique this year, impacting all of the events and uh, many of the athletes. Uh, but take men's beach volleyball, for example. Uh, this is Nick Lucena on the left and Phil Dahlhauser on the right. I think they just lost yesterday and got eliminated. But uh, they've kind of had uh, some unique circumstances. Phil especially, he's a four-time Olympian, gold medalist. Uh, he's learning to play with Nick Lucena really on the fly because his original teammate contracted COVID or tested positive for COVID and therefore was disqualified right at the last minute uh, before the, the Olympics. And so not only did Phil have the challenge of learning to play with a new teammate, but he also had to live under all of these extra restrictions because he was considered a close contact. And so uh, he wasn't allowed to stay at the Olympic Village, but had to stay off-site in a separate hotel. He had to travel by himself. He's not even allowed to use the showering facilities at the beach volleyball arena. And because he's not allowed to use those showers, there's this really funny video that's gone around of Phil's coach hosing him down after one of the volleyball matches, again, because he can't use the facilities. But it's just not the kind of treatment that you'd expect one of the greatest athletes in the world, one of the former gold medalists to have to endure. But I can relate a little bit. Like I know, I mean, after an Olympic performance of mowing the yard, you know, on a hot summer day and happened to hose off before you go into the house. Like, you just do what you got to do, right, in order uh, to get the job done. Well, I, I want to continue in our journey through the Old Testament today. Uh, I want to let you know that we're going to slow down a little bit uh, over the next four weeks to spend some time in the story uh, of Daniel, and not only Daniel, but also some of his friends that many people believe could have been as young as 13, 14, 15 years uh, of age. And like Phil Dahlhauser, uh, Daniel could appreciate some challenges, I think, that came from being singled out and having to live by a different set of rules. And so let's look at Daniel chapter 1 together, beginning in verse 1. Here's what we read. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So right away, the book of Daniel begins with a surge of information, and you might be wondering to yourself, why do any of these details matter? Well, they actually tell us a lot about Daniel and what he was enduring at the time. For starters, we see that Jehoiakim was king of Judah, and he and a long line of other kings had continually ignored God's warning about living in disobedience and idolatry towards him. And so, around 605 B.C., God punished their rebellion and allowed the Babylonian army to invade Judah, and Jerusalem was destroyed. But instead of killing all of the people, some like Daniel were captured and exiled back to Babylon where they would be forced to live under the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar. But there's something interesting we learn right away from this passage, verse 1, that is pretty insightful, and it has everything to do with the name Babylon. Now, most 
English translations of Scripture, and you might see this in your Bible if you have your own, include a footnote to let us know that Babylon was also referred to as the land of Shinar. And that's significant because if you go back to Genesis chapter 11, you discover that Shinar is where the people of God, or the, the people gathered together to build this Tower of Babel. And without taking any time to get into that story, let's just note that Babel represented pride, it represented disobedience, and a flat-out rejection of God. And so, the book of Daniel uh, explains how, how Daniel and others were exiled back to Babylon or to this region of Shinar, an area that Daniel, uh, the known to Daniel and his people, really is kind of this hotbed of disobedience and, and rejection. Now, today, uh, modern-day Babylon, or excuse me, Babylon is in this area of, of modern-day Iraq, and, and their empire was a large empire. Uh, for the people back then, it was a superpower, uh, synonymous with, with everything that was opposed to God. And what's interesting interesting, though, is throughout the rest of the story of Scripture, Babylon is really this symbolic word used to describe an evil spiritual power at work in the earthly kingdoms, really in every age of humanity. And it started back in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. And then we see it here in Daniel. In the New Testament, the disciples are going to refer to Rome as an evil sort of Babylon. And then in the book of Revelation, the apostle John will use the word Babylon to describe a world system that will reject God and oppose Him at every turn. And so, while Babylon was a real physical place for Daniel, it also represents a type of evil working in every system of the world. An evil spirituality, even, or excuse me, an evil spiritual reality even today where things like government and armies and media and commerce are used to wage war against God and His people. And that's not a judgment limited to our present circumstances because our world has been operating this way for a really long time. But it's not something to ignore because you know this, and I know this, that the tension is real, and the tension is increasing because whether you realize it or not, like Daniel we live in Babylon. We live in Babylon today. You work in Babylon. Your kids go to school in Babylon. Uh, many of us, we're going to retire in Babylon. And that just means that there is an invisible force at work in the world today that is attempting to undermine and oppose God at every turn. And it's evil that wants to cripple the church and an evil that wants to make followers of Jesus irrelevant. That's the bad news. The good news is that our God is faithful. The good news is that He's all-powerful and that He will not be mocked, and His kingdom is forcefully advancing. And we know this, that in Jesus Christ we have victory and we are free as His people. But for now, we live in Babylon. And like Daniel, you and I are called to do more than just survive Babylon. But God wants us to thrive here as we live faithfully and courageously for Him and for His great glory. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at the first part of the book of Daniel and allow it to be our guide because Daniel and his friends even will serve as an example that it is possible to live faithfully and courageously for God in Babylon. And my prayer is that God is going to use these next few weeks to encourage each of us in that. 
All right, so as we've discovered already, Daniel begins with the city of Jerusalem defeated, but Daniel and others survive. Here's what we read beginning in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He, this official, was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. So Nebuchadnezzar had this practice whereby he would capture and retain some of the best and brightest from conquered nations like Israel so that he could bring these people back and into his own administration which meant training and pre-programming the men, basically to get them thinking like Babylonians. And so this is where we meet Daniel and his friends. Verse 6, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. What was it? about Daniel and his friends that made them likely candidates for Nebuchadnezzar's re-education program. Well, as we read just a moment ago, they were from the royal family, all right? And they were from nobility. They were uh, handsome, as the text says. They were smart and strong and likely teenagers too. Interestingly, archaeologists have uncovered a photo showing what these young men might have looked like. We happen to get a copy of that today, and you just see these young, handsome, smart men, but put yourself in Daniel's shoes for just a second, okay? Imagine, I know I've lost you in the moment, so let's bring it back, all right? But put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Your nation is invaded and destroyed. Your family members were likely murdered. Maybe you saw it with your own eyes. Everything you've ever known has been taken away, and now you're exiled hundreds of miles away to a foreign place and into a culture that opposes everything you've ever been taught. And to make the process complete, Nebuchadnezzar had these men's names changed. Like these boys had good Hebrew names which celebrated Yahweh, the God of heaven. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to change their names to honor his God. You might have caught this, that the Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, his name was changed to Belshazzar, meaning Baal protects the king. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious, was changed to Shadrach, which was under the command of Aku, again, this pagan God. And the same with Mishael to Meshach and Azariah Abednego. Again, they had... Uh, names that honored Yahweh, and they were given these new names to honor these pagan gods. The goal was to get these men doubting everything they had ever known, even their own identity as children of God, but the pressure is about to be applied in even greater measure because maybe you caught this in verse 5. It says, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, from what we know, Daniel and his friends had not um, shown any outward resistance to the Babylonians up to this point. Like they, they took their classes, uh, they read the literature, they responded to their new names. But this is the first occasion when Daniel and his friends are going to draw a very clear line. And here's what we read, verse 8. Here's what it looked like. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. What was it about the food and wine that caused them to say no way? I mean, the king's food was likely the best food in all the land. Like, why would these four students refuse it? 
Well, first of all, it was considered ceremonially unclean or defiled according to Jewish law. And secondly, the king's food would have first been offered to these false gods of Babylon as a way of honoring them. And so to take it and eat it was like honoring them, acknowledging them as the provider of these things. And so for these reasons, Daniel wasn't willing to compromise his convictions. Let's stop there for just a moment and make this really practical for us. As followers of Jesus today, there are a lot of things going on in our world that we either disagree with or we're really not sure what to do about. Every day we're uh, confronted with what the world believes and says is acceptable, true, right, and good according to the ever-changing cultural norms around us. I mean, social media and news outlets are constantly bombarding us with messages about how to think the way they do and that anyone that disagrees with them is going to be demonized or maybe canceled. Uh, Academia today is pressuring our students to view things like creation and gender and race issues in a way that factor God out of the equation and that anyone that believes anything different is going to be shamed, ridiculed for being narrow-minded or hateful. Employers are pressuring us to, to be quiet about our personal beliefs, to get in line with the different social and, and political winds of the day or risk losing a job. Like Daniel and, and his friends, we have to recognize that either we have, some of you have, or we are going to face moments like these. There's going to be times where you're going to have to make a choice to refrain, to abstain, to take a stand, and not take a stand as a way of picking a fight, and not taking a stand as a way of drawing attention to yourself, but to stand firm on what God says is true and right and good and acceptable in His Word. And like with Daniel, it won't be easy, and it won't be popular but demonstrating that kind of faith is a perfect opportunity for God to reveal Himself and show up in unexpected ways. How in the world did Daniel and three friends, and we'll learn more about them next week, find the strength to stand strong in their faith? This is so important. How'd they do this in Babylon? Daniel and his friends made up their mind who they were going to live for long before they ever got to Babylon. And how do you and I find the strength to resist evil and opposition in our faith? Genesis Church, you need to make a decision who you're going to live for. Who are you going to live for in this world? Because just as an athlete works and trains to go to the Olympics, as a soldier prepares and trains to go to the front lines, like we can train and prepare ourselves. Uh, we can be prepared for those moments. You as parents, like we can train and raise up our kids to be able to live courageously and faithfully and graciously in our very own Babylon, again, just like Daniel and these guys here are going to do. Back to their story. Verse 9, it says, Now God, pay attention to those two words, all right, because they mean something. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Now, Daniel should have been executed probably for suggesting another way here, but because of Daniel's boldness, what? God caused. Because of Daniel's faithfulness, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to him. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your, your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for the 10 days. And so Daniel and his friends, again, they've made this decision. They're not going to eat this food, but they also realize that their superior had expectations to meet. And so Daniel is trusting God to work on their behalf, but he's also trusting God to go out and to work on this man's heart. And miraculously, the chief official agrees and gives them 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Daniel is getting this front row seat to God's work and presence around them and in them and certainly in their midst, his power in their life and certainly in this current predicament. But look what else God is going to do because not only would their health and appearance allow them to pass the test, but also this. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And so their health made them acceptable in the official's eyes. And again, notice how God is going to give them wisdom and abilities that's going to come in handy for the years ahead. Let's get this straight. Daniel was faithful to God, and God was faithful to Daniel. But that's not the end of it. Verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. A couple of things I want to note here. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. Um, but as we think about, as we talk about the similarities between Babylon then and the Babylon we live in today, I don't want you to miss this. The Scriptures remind us that as followers of Jesus Christ, our eternal home is in heaven. It just means that this is a temporary place. And we anxiously and eagerly await the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But the Scripture also talks about how the fact that we are foreigners and, and we are strangers here on this planet, but not by accident. Like, we're not just doing time, all right? We're not just holding out, even though Jesus will come again, all right? And because he's coming again, we know and believe that it is our mission as a church and as followers of Jesus to help people find and know the love of Christ. And that means loving people as Jesus loved people. And that means we're here to serve and to bring life and hope to our community that like Daniel, you can use your gifts and you can use your skills to make your company or your workplace a better place. Like Christians should make all of our schools better places to serve and to study. We're, we are here to show the love of Christ and, and to care for the poor and hurting. And the church of Jesus Christ should be the one that's leading the way in overcoming racism because we are all one in Jesus Christ. And so Daniel and his friends aren't going to just survive Babylon. No, they are going to thrive. They are going to influence, and they are going to shine a light that is going to get people's attention, and as we'll see in coming weeks, in some really significant ways. But here's something else I don't want you to miss either, and that is that faithfulness is a really big deal to God. Yours and mine, faithfulness 
is a big deal to him. As followers of Jesus, there are promises and expectations that our God expects us to live by. And why? Well, to begin, he's a holy God. And he will not honor or tolerate or overlook sinful patterns or behavior in our lives. And a big part of that reason is he knows what's best for us. Like he knows what's best and he knows that sin has the potential to harm us and to, to harm others. He knows that, that our sin has the potential to harm people that he has put into our lives and called us to reach. And he's a good father who doesn't want his children just blending in with the rest of the world, but to be people who stand out by living out their faith for the rest of the world to see. And there are a few fun things, important things that we can learn from Daniel's story that uh, help shape the way we live out our faith in God in spite of the challenges of living in our modern-day Babylon. Just real quick, for starters, I love this one. Daniel uh, had a spiritual family that helped shape his faith. Uh, we can put that together. Scholars believe that Daniel was born around the time that a young man named Josiah took over as king in Israel. Josiah was a good king with a really good reputation. He played a significant role in leading the people back to God, and he did this by reopening the temple in Jerusalem, by revitalizing a spirit of worship among the people, and by also leading the people back to the Word of God. And that's the environment that Daniel grew up in. And on top of that, Daniel had parents that must have influenced his relationship with God. Again, we don't know much about them, but they did name their son a name that meant God is my judge, which just gives us a glimpse of their high view of God. And just like Daniel, you know, those of us that follow Jesus, well, we have a spiritual family as well that can support us and encourage us as we face the daily challenges of, of this world. And, and what is it? It's this amazing thing we call the church. And for those of you that call Genesis your church, it's this church, and it is an incredible gift from God. And according to Jesus, the church is to be made up of people of all ages, young and old. Uh, the church is to be made up of men and women and boys and girls. It's to be a place where the rich and the poor are welcome, that people of every color and every nationality can gather together under the name of Jesus. And the purpose of the church is pretty straightforward. First and foremost, we are, we are united around our hope and our love for Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the writers of the New Testament also describe the church as the body of Christ, which means that we are literally the hands and feet of Jesus to this world and that through faith in Him, we are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can love and care for and build each other up so that we can boldly and courageously live out our faith together so that we can lead people to faith and baptize them in Jesus and train them and release them to go and to serve and live in this world and that together we can advance God's kingdom in spite of the resistance of Babylon around us. I love the service and the generosity of this church. You know that we've been collecting school supplies uh, and providing them for, for our local communities, our local schools here. We are doing this in Carmel as well. This past week, um, our Carmel campus got to welcome a number of families that had been identified in the community, families in need, and they were able to come into our Carmel campus building and pick up these different supplies. And, and some of our Carmel staff, they were there, and they got to interact and hear stories and they get to pray with people who were coming. And, 
you know, our campus pastor, Jerry, said, he said, I was just overwhelmed. He says, I, I just still can't get my mind around the fact that there is such great need, even right here in Hamilton County. And, and wouldn't you know, he was able to meet one woman, a single mom, and who's had a horrible year and a half and struggling with rent. And Jerry got to working and found some families, and they put together two months' worth of rent payment for her and sent her the receipt and just said, we love you, you know. And again, what a great example of what it means of, you know, we're going to shine our light, you know, we're, we're here to proclaim the name of Jesus. And just like Daniel and his friends, God wants us to see and experience his incomparable power at work in our lives and through our lives, but it begins by coming together as a family and by resolving in our hearts our desire and will to live for him. You know, sometime after Daniel lived, the Apostle Paul, whose life was radically changed by the power of Jesus Christ forever, wrote these words to the church uh, in Rome, but they apply to us today as well. Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This passage is so rich and so full of meaning. As Paul challenges Christians then, living in a Babylon sort of world, and even us today, to resist the urge to just blend in with the rest of the world by instead living sacrificial lives of faith that honor God as worship uh, before Him. And when you think about it, that's exactly what Daniel and his friends were doing. Like Babylon may have changed their address and, and their names, but Daniel and his friends decided that they would not allow Babylon to negatively impact their relationship with God, even if it meant their death. But the more boldly they lived and the more they were willing to offer their bodies as living sacrifices to God, the more they were able to watch him work in and apart and outside of their lives. And, and Babylon, you know, this symbolic Babylon that we recognize that we live in as well, it challenges us in many ways to conform to the patterns of this world with things like getting in line and accepting the ever-changing thinking of the day. But interestingly, the way of Jesus invites us into an eternal relationship with our Father in heaven who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know, Babylon wants to teach and influence us to, to, to live for ourselves first, you know, uh, and, and to use others for our own personal gain. But Jesus and the life that he calls us to models a life of selfless love that puts others first. You know, Babylon wants to tell us to do whatever it takes to make a name for yourself so that others, others will think you're great. But Jesus calls us to a life of humility and that we live with integrity and our faith in him so that through the way we live, others might be drawn to the name of Jesus. Babylon wants to tell us to use our resources to build a kingdom for ourselves by acquiring things that will give us greater social status. But Jesus... He teaches us to use our resources and to live generously so that others may see and experience the generosity of God in tangible ways too. And Babylon says, seek pleasure in any way you can find it, but Jesus teaches us to guard our hearts by being careful with how we live, which includes what we view, the things that we listen to. The bottom line is that just like Daniel, God wants us to be faithful to him in public and in private 
And following Jesus means that we live countercultural to the Babylon around us, which is going to require a lot of sacrifice and, and daily sacrifice. But just like Daniel, really, if you think about Apostle Paul's words, there are really two choices before us. First, you can be conformed to the pattern of this world and just blend in. Or you can be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and by His Word. And if you're transformed by the Word of God, then you're going to know the will of God. And I'm not going to promise you that living like that or living for God today is going to be easy. I can't promise you that living for God means that everything always works out the way you hope because the fact is that your faith and convictions might get you fired. Uh, your faith and convictions might get you singled out at school. There's a possibility that your faith might cause you to lose some friends along the way. People may say horrible things about you. You might even get canceled. But think about this. The world didn't understand Jesus. And so why would we believe or expect the world to understand what we're living for? And Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He loved people in ways the world had never experienced, and he followed the will and the word of God to perfection. All right, and he refused to sin, and he gave his life, and he changed the world forever. And in the same way, God can use us, and he can use our church, and we can live with conviction and still love, and we can be generous, and we can look out for the poor and hurting, and you can go to work, and you can be faithful, and you can go to school, and you can faithfully and courageously serve the Lord. We can be the very best neighbors in this community and this church can be a place where people run when they're hurting and they got nowhere to go. And again, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Daniel and his friends. They've got more difficult days in front of them, but God was faithful and he worked through their faithfulness and he'll do the same for you and he'll do the same for our church as we trust him, as we serve him, and as we live faithfully for him each day. Here's how I want to end today. I, I want to end by praying uh, for you and praying for some of you very specifically um, just as a way of encouraging you. We, uh, for Noblesville, Noblesville schools start tomorrow. And if you're not a part of Noblesville schools, maybe you start in the next week. Uh, if you're homeschool, I'm sure you're starting soon. Uh, if you're a student today, uh, if you're going to college, no matter what age you are, if, I, I want to pray for you today and just pray that you'll, you can be a Daniel, you know, that you can have faith and courage like Daniel. And so if you want to stand, I, I'm just going to pray for you. That's the only thing I'm going to ask you to do is to stand. So go ahead and stand right now uh, if you're a student. But I, I want to add to this group as you look around and as you see all of our students here, um, if you're a teacher or an administrator working in, in one of our schools, if you're homeschooling and so you're doing that work as a parent, I want to invite you to stand right now. I want to pray for you that you can be a Daniel wherever God has called you and he's calling you to serve right now and the people that you have the opportunity to influence. And we're going to go one step further because as we acknowledge that we're all living in Babylon, if some of you are just feeling the weight of it right now, I want to invite you to stand too, whoever you are. just want to pray for you today. Uh, whoever wants to stand, let me, let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your amazing love and for your amazing grace and for the hope that you have given us to do life and to live intentionally in this world right now. And uh, Father, we recognize that there are days when it's easy and there are days when it's not so easy. And we certainly recognize that we have been living in some some turbulent, challenging times, and that this culture is changing quickly, 
and sometimes there are some things about it that we just don't love and, and just make it difficult and complicated and confusing. Lord, we want to be faithful to you. We want to be faithful and courageous and gracious and loving, and we want to serve you with all of the days of our lives. And so I pray for our students today that you'd help them to be like a Daniel, most importantly, to be like Jesus. Each and every day, give them faith and courage for how to live. I want to pray for our teachers, our administrators, for, for parents that are homeschooling. I, I pray that you would give us the faith of Jesus, that we might model Jesus in all that we do and serve you faithfully with every day of our lives. And for the rest of us that are standing today, Lord, that just right now are kind of recognizing some of the pressures of living here in this place. Give us faith. Give us hope. Give us wisdom. Help us to live faithfully and courageously for you. God, I pray that like Daniel and his friends, that we will see you at work around us, that we would experience the power of your presence and that others would too. We want others to know Jesus. We want to help many more find their way back to God. Lead us. Lead our church. Lord, we are here to serve you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.